0: Hey, it's Jordan. I am excited to be sharing an episode from my book podcast friends over at StoryBound today. StoryBound is a radio theater program celebrating its fifth season. Hosted by 2021 KCRW Radio Race winner Jude Brewer, StoryBound presents the voices of today's best writers, like Mitchell S. Jackson, Tamara Winfrey Harris, and Clint Smith, reading brilliant works of fiction and nonfiction. You'll also hear original music specially composed for the text. The episode we're going to share today features Dante Stewart, reading from Shouting in the Fire, an American epistle, his account of his religious experience and of grappling with the racism endemic in history. If you like what you hear, make sure you follow Storybound for free wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, let's get to it. Here's Storybound. For any new listeners joining us this season, most of our episodes will provide you with a different auditory experience, whether you're listening in your car or on your headphones or just the speaker out of your tablet or smartphone. For this episode, we recommend you find a comfortable place to sit, relax, meditate, put on your headphones as we welcome Dante Stewart onto the show. Dante Stewart is the author of Shouting in the Fire, an American epistle. His voice has been featured on the New York Times, the Washington Post, ESPN's the Undefeated, Sojourners, and more. I had a great time chatting with Dante before and after his reading, and putting together this episode was very healing for me. I hope that it is healing for you. Welcome to Storybound.
1: Yo, what's up, everybody? My name is Dante Stewart, and I am the author of the newly released Shouting in a Fire, an American Epistle. And I'm going to be reading an excerpt from my book today. And I was doing an interview not too long ago, and the interviewer asked me, you know, you talked about your mother, you talked about your father, you talked about white folk, you talked about black folk, you talk about the country, you talk about young people, uh, you talk about race and gender and religion and sexuality. Politics, who do you want to begin with talking about? And I, in good grandsonnerly fashion, I chose to start with my grandmother. My grandmother, her name is Margaret Elizabeth Albert. She's from the Black Rural South in South Carolina, and she's the baby of my grandmother Idella. And she would always tell me stories about Grandma Idella and the ways in which Grandmother Idella would tell her stories around the dinner table, making food or or just sitting and washing clothes and hanging them out on the clothing line. And so my grandmother would always, as a young kid, when I was younger, my grandmother would always sit me down to tell stories, whether it was of Uncle Walter or whether it was going to dances or whether it was my granddaddy and his activism work in the Black Real South during the civil rights movement. So I felt like in this moment, in this podcast, I want to honor my grandmother, Margaret Elizabeth Albert, somebody who survived, somebody who remembers, somebody who tells a story, and somebody whose story is worth telling. Y'all ready? All right, like LeVar Burton says, deep breath in, deep breath out. Shouting in the fire, an American epistle. By Dante Stewart. Grandma, tell me more about back then. I started asking her anytime I saw her. What do you want to know? She asked. And then an entire universe, an entire devastating and hopeful universe, was soon formed from the story she shared. As a writer, the more I read Baldwin and Morrison, Damar realized how important it was to preserve our stories. I was reading book after book in seminary, but none of them took seriously my grandma and her story. Even if they didn't, I knew that I could. So I tried to talk to her and have her open up as much as she liked. Now, if you don't feel like talking about it, I told her, faking like I didn't really want to know, you don't have to. But I wanted her to. I wanted her to so bad, she paused. She gave out a little laugh. She rubbed her rough, greasy hands together. She paused again. She laughed again. We went back to talking about something else. She rarely likes to talk about it, but she remembers. I could tell she kind of wanted to talk to me and kind of didn't want to talk to me. I'm going through a little bit right now, she said. Gonna have to give me some time. I was all right with that. I could spare some time to get a story out of her. My family is full of storytellers. My mama is a storyteller. My daddy is a storyteller. My aunts are storytellers. My uncles are storytellers. They all will somehow sneak a story of some old uncle getting chased out the house with a gun or something that would happen in church or something about what the white man did. Between that red brick house and the white stained brick church were a lot of stories. Sometimes they were lessons I wasn't feeling. Sometimes they were dumb and irrelevant. What mattered was that they were ours. Stories really are the material that hold us together. It held us all together. It is the oxygen that keeps our bodies going and going and going. My grandmother hated going back in time though. So she hated when I asked about stories back then. She hated revisiting stories of trauma. I wanted to talk. She just wanted to rest and to lock it away in her mind never to face it again or never to let it face her. She had a right. We have been dreaming dreaming of freedom, professor and activist Brittany Cooper writes, carving out spaces spaces for liberation liberation since since we arrived arrived on these shores. My grandma has been carving out space with those rough, greasy hands wherever she could. She may not have said it with her mouth, but her body was saying so much more. Her body hated the smells. Her, body hated, the her feeling. body hated the feeling. There would be an uneasiness that would come upon her spirit. I could see her frail body tense up. Her hands, her knees, her stomach, her eyes. The woman that I had known to rub her thighs and her knees when the Holy Ghost got a hold of her in church. The high-pitched laugh that she gave over conversations about what she found funny laughing as she was making unsalted chicken each of those left her as quick as the memory came in her bones she fixed her long skirt rolled up her sleeves fixed her glasses and she looked at me and gave me a smile really a smirk as we sat at the kitchen table when she began telling me about that day The March on Washington, the quote-unquote, I have a dream speech, her body was not bent anymore. It was upright, erected as a pledge of love. I could see joy come over her body as she took this trip down memory lane. She was so proud then. She was so proud now. We all gathered around the television, she said. we were watching everybody give their speeches. She talked about how he was in front of all those people bearing witness. She said that the spirit of the Lord came upon him that day. She said it was different. She said black folk felt free. We were so proud of Martin, she said. He was preaching, black folk felt good. She emphasized the good. She always emphasized the good and feeling good and being good. I remember Your granddaddy, when the voting rights act was passed, she said, went all around this neighborhood to make sure all the black folk were registered to vote. He made sure he took his truck around the neighborhood to get everybody out to vote. Didn't really want to talk to her about Martin. I knew how she felt about that day. Boy, it was like the earth stood still. My daddy said when I asked him about that day as well. So I left that one alone. Grandma. You got to tell me about them white folk. I wasn't really looking for history events, but the emotions, the wars, the wound. What was it like to live around white people back then, I said. But her body bent over again, curling up under the weights. She didn't want to talk about it. Again. Okay,
0: that's fine, I said. Maybe another time. There's a lot more story ahead. We'll return after a quick break. You are listening to Storybound with Dante Stewart, reading from his book, Shouting in the Fire, an American Epistle. And now we return from our break.
1: trying to get something to take back with me. She kept trying to get somewhere safe. Both of us were trying to move beyond what white people did to us. Life was so much more than the terrible things that they had imagined or actually accomplished or what we tried to forget. Both of us knew what was true of us. The wounds were already there, showing up again and again. In our hands, in our feet, in our stomachs and our bones in our body. Grandma, I said, as she fixed some tea and I sat at the table. A lot of people talk about how this country is great. Great for who? Great for us. I don't know about that, she responded. Me either. Like most black folk her age, she keeps a picture of President Obama, Michelle, Malia and Sasha in the living room. It is big, it is beautiful. It sits next to a picture of who, as a kid, I always thought to be Dr. J the basketball player. It sits near my grandfather's awards. I wonder if it is a reminder of black people's deep love of ourselves, our arts, our sports, and our country. Barack is in his black suit, white shirt, blue tie. Michelle is in her dress, the color of a flower, a deep and abiding red like roses with shiny pearls around her neck. The children like children just like us. For some, he represented a sellout. Somebody who didn't stand up for black people when they needed it most. For others, he represented them losing the country they thought was theirs. A sort of symbol of the destruction of white supremacy. Still for others, he represented our shining prince. The resurrection of black racial politics. Part Martin, part Malcolm, part Sermon, part Jeremiah. Still for others, he represented just another nigga who made it out nothing more nothing less i pointed to the picture and asked her how it made her feel god is good dante she said god is good i agreed we both knew that though this is america and america stayed on fire god was still in the midst of it all god hadn't left us god's work was worth remembering we were still here And if we were still here, then we were worth spending time talking about and listening to and repeating over and over again in hopes that things would change and that we would feel love and we would feel hope. When hope felt as elusive as our liberation, our bodies were our gospel, our memories were our weapons. Maybe that is what makes memory so powerful. It is the unbreakable cord that binds the pains of the past to the problems of the present and the possibilities of the future. My grandmother finding a way to be a country black feminist through her rough, greasy hands and through her old dark brown eyes taught me that remembering is not just about remembering what happened to us. It was about remembering the story bound to her body. The kitchen was not just a kitchen. It was not just a home for pots and pans, old grease and white flour, trash cans and a half working refrigerator. It was a sacred place, a sanctuary of survival a place where we told our own stories. Though she never got to step foot in the pulpit as a preacher in the Pentecostal church, she was, while we were talking and sitting, God's preacher, God's voice. The God she found leaped off the pages of black Bibles into her frail black body. She found God in the singing. She found God in her cooking, in Sunday morning praise and worship, and dancing, in stillness, and in rest. In her grandkids and her great-grandkids and her lineage, her testament to survival. This was her witness. She had a story to tell, something special to say, something to say with her mouth and with her body and with her hand and with her eyes and with her bones and with her chest. What I heard that day calling back to me, a revelation That would keep me going in the midst of the chaos. Greasy hands. Frail bodies. Happy hearts. Unsweet teeth. Unsalted chicken. Imagination. Dreaming. Memories. Flooding. Engulfing her. Engulfing me. Engulfing us. Together. She rarely likes to talk about it.
0: Hey, there's still more to come. We'll return after this final commercial break. You are listening to Storybound with Dante Stewart reading from his book Shouting in the Fire, an American Epistle. And now we return for our final chapter. Weeks later, I decided to do a
1: lesson on jesus and what it meant to remember jesus at the school i was teaching at by this time the kids were familiar with my teaching style and knew that i didn't just want to teach them about the bible but i wanted to help them find themselves in the bible just like my grandmother found herself and how she taught me to find myself i wanted them to know that the bible wasn't just a dead book locked in history but a living story one that they were a part of and could shape and could see had made them write essays about their families and about their memories and about what they had learned about what they wanted to change. This day, I wanted to revisit that lesson, tell them all the things that I had learned and all the things I felt I could change in my own family. the sky was overcast there was not the familiar breeze or the familiar sun or the familiar smells as I bounced in between school work and finding the video to play for the beginning of the class during our devotional time I saw her walk in the frown it was upon her face Mister she said they shot him, they shot at him 20 times. Mr. Stu, how'd they kill that man like that? Kill that man in his grandma's backyard. I was sitting on the bench getting ready to teach my lesson that day, when one of my students told me about how she felt about the murder of Stefan Clark. She was in shock. I was shook when I saw what had happened as I quickly scrolled on Facebook. Not again, I thought to myself, Not again. My children and I were getting used to seeing dead black bodies being murdered and being blamed. When I saw the reports, couldn't say a word. Not again. Not again. I wanted to say something to her that would comfort her. I couldn't bring myself to it, though. I was too angry. She was enraged. I couldn't blame her. I found myself pausing, picking up my book to read in my journal, grabbing my pen and trying to get back to work. But I couldn't put my journal and my book down. He was shot at 20 times at his grandmother's house. Felt it in my stomach, in my legs, chest, and in my bones. Not again, not again.
0: Our life must move on, but
1: our life must move on with change. There's got to be a better day. And that better day starts with each and every one of us. What is it so bad? Oh
0: my God! 911 operator Harris, where is your emergency? Stop moving. Put your hands down your back there. Nobody had any type of human emotion or sympathy for this dying man gasping for his last breaths
1: How you feeling? I asked Jay Trying to get her to voice how she felt You could be honest Really? Yeah, you good Well I hate this shit really It's like they can kill us and just get away with it It's like they don't even care Our lives don't even matter I just want this place to change Mr. Stu. I just want better for us I was shocked by how raw she processed her emotions. She was so young, so black, and so tender, but she felt it like I felt it and like my grandmother felt it. In her stomach, in her stomach, in her, stomach, legs, in her legs, in her chest, in her, chest in her body, in her body. I was sad too because I knew that she was learning what it meant to be black the same way that I had. It meant never really being given a childhood. Never really not having to worry about who would be murdered next, who look like you, who look like you. Never really having to deal with the pain of averted not accomplishing the justice it promised. Never really up, never really growing up without fears and having to grow up way too soon. She learned what I learned. This country is exhausting, does not care about what you feel in your body. I hated that the words terror and lies and struggle and rage as i wrote them in my journal would enter into the lexicon of her life way too early in a recent essay the trayvon generation elizabeth alexander paints a picture of the young people growing up in the past 25 years we are a generation that has known that hashtags for us are also history books chronicling the journey of young people who look look just like us their journeys have ended too early dreams dreams are destroyed as we watch the stories come across our feeds forcing us once again to call out in a helpless rage these stories alexander writes helped instruct young african americans about their embodiment and their vulnerability they were stories of terror they were stories that didn't keep one's eyes in the skies too long we knew that we had to come back down and learn how to survive this world these stories let us know that, as Alexander writes, anti-black hatred and violence were never far. My classroom, like my grandmother's kitchen, had to become a sanctuary of survival. Alexander worries about our generation, a generation of young people who undoubtedly are dealing with depression and trauma, just like our parents, just like my grandma. Each day my students walked in the classroom They saw this world and they knew that so much was wrong with it. They were angry, but most of all, they were numb. It's the type of numb that feels but doesn't. That wonders and dreams dreams. But 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 doesn't. They were always looking for ways to numb themselves to this present danger. It's not that life is all about danger or all of life is about the threat of death. It is not. It is that the threat and the danger is real. As real as our own breath, as real as our own lives. It is as real as the rain dripping on your face as a child when you find out how soothing and different the water is. Only thing is, the water, unlike the danger, is not trying to get rid of you. It is not trying to ruin you. That was a hard time for me as a teacher. I really didn't know what I was doing. I was trying to teach these 10, 11, and 12-year-olds how to learn history, how to talk about themselves in the past, how to know that history is not dead and that the memory of our successes and our failures lived in them and in me. I was trying to teach them how to care for the oppressed, how to live like Jesus. I was trying to teach them to make sense of their own bodies, where their bodies lived, how their bodies were taught, how to love, and how to fail and how to grow up. I was trying to teach them how to talk about their country and the ways both the country and the church fails to love and teach us to fail at love. I was trying to help them and myself unlearn toxic ways we were learning to be human and Christian and American. I was trying to teach them how to be alone, how to be together, and how to make a difference and how to heal and how to tell a better story than the ones we were offered. I wanted them to know that any progress that has been made in this country is not because the country has been so good to us was always progressing. It's because we have refused to shut up, play, shut up, pray, shut up, and work. We have refused to be silent about our pain and our struggle and our dreams and our bodies. It's because we have refused to give up faith in ourselves, in God, and in the possibility of justice and liberation and healing. Black Lives Matter, as they would learn, and as I would learn, and as my grandmother would learn, was not just a rallying cry of the protest for black bodies. It was a love letter, a monument, a testimony, a hallelujah, a yes, Lord, a sermon, a dream. It was a cry to remember and to love hard, and to love publicly, and to love honestly, and to tell the truth and to be better for all of us. I wanted better for Stefan. I want it better for them. I want it better for me. I want it better for us. I want it better for us, all of us. In her essay, The Sight of Memory, Toni Morrison writes that the act of imagination is bound up with memory. She remembers how the Mississippi River was straightened to make room for houses and for livable conditions and better crops and a better life. From time to time, the river floods over these places. She stops to examine one word, flooding. That is what is happening when the water comes crashing down the red Mississippi clay, filling up barren places, washing away the cracks. It is remembering, she writes. Remembering where it used to be. All water has perfect memory and is forever trying to get back where it was. It was trying to find its way home. Out of the imagination, Morrison writes, black people dreamed of a new world. These dreams told a story of hope of those trying to get back to where they were. They dreamed of a day where our souls, the souls of black folk, could rest with God and the ancestors. Stories of hope in the midst of despair, stories of rage in the midst of oppression, stories of power in the midst of plain love in the midst of brutality. The rush of imagination says Morrison is our flooding. The question comes, what is the goal? The answer, witness. Our bodies and our beauty and our creativity and our honesty and our failure and our dreams and our hopes, these all become witness. Witness, There was, a longing, there was a longing, a searching for a place to stand, a place to be in this country that is hell bent on us not being and becoming not and being. breathing and living, living. and growing loving. and loving. We witness to our audacity to survive. We witness to young children caught between camera recordings and hot lead. We witness young children wondering if they will be next. We witness mothers crying out behind podiums for their babies' humanities. We witness conversations around the kitchen tables. We witness it all. We witness the light. We witness the loss. We witness what we lost. We witness what we dream. We witness what we see. We witness what we feel. In our legs, and in our stomach, and in our chest, and in our bones, and in our bodies. That is the goal. For us, witness. I hope that you enjoyed this little recording of my book, Shouting in the Fire, an American Epistle. And I hope that you will pay attention to what you feel in your body and what the country makes other people feel in their bodies. Because whether you believe it or not, our bodies hold knowledge. It holds our dreams. It holds what we imagine for ourselves. And some of us take what we feel in our bodies and put it in our hands and put it on a page for you and for others to wrestle with it, to be conflicted by it, to be loved by it, to embrace it, to figure out how you can become the witness that you seek. And I so I hope in this little moment in this sacred space, in this space of storytelling, that you found something that you can benefit today and tomorrow, and then the next day, and then the day after that, and the many years to come. Because each of us, whether we believe it or not, have the ability to live and to love and to dream, to find ourselves In the tussle of life, living, breathing, loving, and shouting in the fire, shouting in the fire.
0: As I said at the top of this episode, I had a great time chatting with Dante before and after his reading. And staying up late these past couple weeks, assembling everything with his performance was very healing for me. I hope you enjoy this time with us. And if you're not already, you'll subscribe to the show, share this episode with someone important to you. You could order yourself a copy of Dante's book, Shouting in the Fire in American Epistle, available now at your favorite local bookseller. Thank you to Dante for reading Thanks to Stephen Boriak and Elise Goldsmith-Weissman, our friends at Penguin Random House and Epidemic Sound. Production assistance by Matt Keeley, Joni Deutsch, Madison Richards, and Morgan Swift from The Pogglomerate. Social media help from Sylvia Beltil. Our production coordinator is Jordan Aaron. Our mix engineers: Tim Carplus. Editing, sound design, scoring, arranging, and hosting are done by me, Jude Brewer. Our executive producers are myself, Jeff Umbro of The Pogglomerate, and Justin Alvarez of Lit Hub. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at StoryBoundPod. You can also tweet at me directly at Jude Brewery. New episodes are released every Tuesday. We're so happy you could join us for season five. All right. See you next week.